Alright, let's talk about what you need to have here. Every time you come in, you need to grab, I will have it by the, by the door somewhere, you know, your uh, paper clipped um, worksheet that we'll kind of go through, and uh, which always has your homework on it, and the homework is always a different color, just so you can keep track of it. You need to grab one of those every time you come in, and there might be something else sitting there um, at the door you might need to grab, um, so make sure you do that as you come in. And Eric is going around, as I said, and he's handing out to you. If you don't have one, um, and I, you'd only have it if you walked in and grabbed it yourself. Uh, there's a the small group list uh, for all of us. What we try to do is, uh, usually with Build on a Saturday, we'll talk for the first most part of it, and then we'll save the last 45 minutes or an hour to be in a small group together. And so um, what you do is you need to just know what group you're in, what elder or guy is leading your group. And then um, you're in good shape. So you guys who just came in, make sure Eric gives you one of the worksheets uh, that he's got there. And the other thing that he, uh, Eric's handing out is a New Testament survey on the heart. It's the use of um, the Greek word cardia in the New Testament. And it's just there for a resource for you. It's not an assignment. It's not even necessarily something we're going to talk about. We're just going to instead put them in your notebooks in the heart section. So you can uh, do that if you want. So make sure you just have those. Just a reminder of, of the house rules in here. There basically are none. You can get up and you can get down whenever you need to. You can uh, get something to eat. You can get a refill. You can get more food. You just make yourself at home. The bathrooms are, are out the door and to the left. And as you go down, um, and you want to like turn the corner to go down the big hallway, but right on the very corner there is where the bathrooms are. And I apologize, I don't have lights for yeah, the. For, for, did you do it? Yeah. How'd you do it? Just like a card. Dude, I don't even have to get a key from them. I just have you do it. First. That's great. Um, the lights are on, so you don't have to take your cell phone and go into the stall and keep. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, don't want to do that. Very good. So that's uh, what you need to know about the logistics as you come in. Take your notebook. Turn it over on the back. We're going to do what we always do when you walk in is we're going to talk through the disciplines on your um, notebook. This is what BUILD is all about. This is what we are wanting the men of this church to become united around. We want to be united primarily around um, a discipline of, of, of the, that concerns the heart. The first discipline of build is that you would shepherd your heart, that you would take responsibility for your heart, that you would lead your heart to the Word of God so that you will meet with the God of the Word. Um, we want to make sure that we're men who, yeah, we, we want to be men of the book, we want to be men of the Bible, but more than that, and it might seem strange to say there is something more than that, there is something more than that, we need to be men of the God of this book. And um, my experience in the past, it may not be what your experience is in the past, depending on where you come from and what kind of Christian setting you've been in, but I've been a part of, of guys who are very content to have the book, but maybe they didn't get God. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit more about that today, but discipline one is primarily you being a man that's concerned to fellowship with God, to meet with God, to know God, to love God, uh, to express your desire for God. And you go to the Word of God to do that. Because that is where He has revealed Himself most clearly. And so we want, to be a, we want to be men who are men of God. Godly men. Men who know God. 
Once you are that kind of man and you are filled up to the fullness of God through his word, my goodness, anywhere you go, um, all kinds of potential is going to happen. And the first place where there should be an, a, an immediate impact by you is in your household, in your dorm room, in your house, your, your apartment that you rent with a, with a bunch of other knuckleheads like yourself. There needs to be, uh, I'm just kidding, you're not a knucklehead, but maybe you are, I don't know. But you're, you're, you're trying to make an impact when you live. There needs to be an aroma of the gospel, and an aroma of that, that you're a man who's after God's own heart. You're, you're after God, and that makes an impact on the place you live. Somebody should walk into your home, into your house, and they should just have, uh, by interacting with you and other people in your home, they should get a, gain a sense very quickly that this man loves God. This man isn't just about toys and stuff and pursuing a career and making something. This man's about God above all other things. And especially if you are married, this is the case. That you would make an impact on your wife um, with your heart for God. And if you have children, you don't play leapfrog over them either. And so, you know, even if you're a single guy and you live with other guys, don't play leapfrog over your household thinking, you know, I don't need to, I don't have a responsibility. I just sleep here, I eat here. And these guys, we might see each other once in a while. No, I encourage you now with your roommates that you have, you go after them and you show them what a man with a heart of God looks like and that you show concern for other people's souls that you live with. Because I'll guarantee you when you get the forever roommate, um, all of a sudden you're going to have to figure out how to turn that on and you haven't been turning that on for years. Practice it now. Uh, be that way in your household now. If you live with your parents, um, you need to be concerned to to care for the people in your home. Your siblings, your your parents, you go after them and you, you show them what it means to be a man of God. Um, and you care for them. Once you've done that and as you are doing that, because uh, you'll never graduate from either of these two things, discipline three, the next place where you make an impact is in your ministry, in the church and outside of the church. Um, and let's talk about it negatively. You tell me, how, how, what kind of integrity is there in a ministry that a man has if he's not concerned, first of all, in his own heart to meet with God through his word? And he's playing leapfrog over the people in his household. Oh, but man, does he want to teach theology in the church? Does he want to lead a Bible study in the church? Does he want to lead ministry in the church? Does he want to be an evangelist out on the streets doing whatever he's doing? You know, you can do that, you can be that, but if you are not a man who's shepherding your own heart, if you're not concerned to, to impact the people you live with, you are a hollow man. You are a shell of a man, and you, there's no integrity. You, you wouldn't want anybody, you shouldn't want anybody to be like you. This is why we take care of first things first. Discipline one, we shepherd our hearts, so we are meeting with God. We know Him, we are trying to impact our households that we live in as a people who live with us are, are better people because they live with us. And then we step into the lives of people in the church and outside of the church and we minister the gospel to them. And uh, boy, I tell you, there's, there's integrity in that kind of ministry and there's integrity in that kind of man. Um, and who knows what God will do with that. Um, discipline four is about the qualifications in um, the pastoral epistles, primarily 1 Timothy in chapter 3, Paul has qualifications for elders and for deacons. Titus 1, he also has um, a, a corresponding list uh, with the elders' qualification list in 1 Timothy 3. 
And we encourage you in particular to really be aiming at the deacon qualifications. We teach at this level what the deacon qualifications are uh, for men. And what's interesting is if you walk through those, and we'll do this later in the year, um, the deacon qualifications all basically come down to discipline one, two, or three. What kind of a man of God is he just in his heart before God? Um, what is he like? Does he manage his own household well? Is he married to just one woman? Is he a one-woman man? Um, and what's he like with people that he ministers to? Does he, is he contentious? Does he know how to refute error? Does he, is he a fighter? Um, so disciplines one, two, and three, when you hit discipline four, it's not like all of a sudden we switch gears radically and we're talking about something brand new. No, we're talking about let's make sure that we're qualified in those first three disciplines. Discipline five, then, is we want to make sure that as we're handling God's word, we're handling it um, accurately and carefully. So it's all about the right hermeneutic. The hermeneutics is just a, a, a collection of rules for interpreting the Bible. Um, and so we want to make sure that we are understanding what God said and what he meant by what he said. And we want to make sure that we are equipped in a way that allows every individual passage and chapter and book of the Bible to speak authoritatively from their own position and that we're not men who are interpreting the Bible in such a way that we would impose over that author's intent our own meaning or even take one of his meanings from another passage and force it onto one of his other passages. Each passage is allowed to speak with its own authority and we put it all together and try to hold it all together. So we want to make sure we're getting introduced to that kind of hermeneutic here. Um, we, we build on that a whole lot more in H3 with um, SMED. And then finally, discipline six is about taking all of these other disciplines and applying them at a specific church, a church called Grace Bible Church. Uh, you need to know what the vision and the purpose of Grace Bible Church is. It revolves around um, the glory of God and the cross of Christ uh, with a transformed life by the Holy Spirit. That's our vision. And our purpose is to draw in, build up, and send out. It's a gospel purpose. And so we want to apply disciplines one, two, three, four, and five to this church because this is the church where you guys are at. So any questions about those disciplines? That's what we're going to do every single time together just to get started is to make sure that these disciplines are in our minds. So later in the week, you're having coffee with, with a, another guy. You're talking about just how things are going. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, one of the very first things you should talk about is how you're doing with your heart. Talk to me about your time in the Word, and, and tell me about what, you're, what are you concerned for when you, when you open God's Word? What are you looking for? Who are you looking for? And how's it going drawing near to God in, in the Word? And, and tell me, what's it like at home? How's it going with your relationships in the house that you live in? Are you caring for people there? And talk to me about ministry. How's that going? In the church, outside the church, how, how's that going? See, I mean, you, you, this equips you to know how to really care for men and other people well. You come home today, and you, you're going to have to talk to your wife about whatever's really troubling her. Where do you start? Now, let's talk about your heart. How, how are you doing with your heart? The kids are stretching you to your limits. What are you going to talk about? How are you going to go after it? This equips you to know how to care for people. Um, and so we're going to go over it every single time until somebody bumps you in the middle of the night and you wake up and you just start talking. This one one the heart. <laughs> okay. I'm shepherding my heart. I'm shepherding my heart. 
Now let me go back to sleep. All right. Let's do this, though. Before we jump in and, and take a look and review a little bit, let's pray. Let's ask God to help us become men like this, okay? Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you again so much for these men who are here today. Lord, it is so encouraging to um, have this many guys gathered together at Grace Bible Church to think about these kinds of things. Um, you are our God, and we love you because of what you have done for us in Christ. We know that we came into this world with hearts that were stubborn and hard and cold and rebellious toward you. We know that um, these hearts in their own condition would never, left to themselves, they would never find you, look for you, or desire you. And what you do in your Son through the power of the gospel is you take a heart of stone like that and you take it out and you put in a new one because of Christ's blood shed at the cross, because of forgiveness of sin, because of wrath satisfied, because of guilt and shame gone, because of a new creation, a new heart. We, we indeed are. We've entered into a new life to live, Lord. And we need to be disciplined men with our lives. We need to be careful with these hearts that we have. Uh, we need to be careful with who we are in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to Shepherd our own hearts, our lives well. Help us also to be an encouragement to one another and anybody we would come into contact with, Lord. And I pray that you would unite these men here um, together strongly, tightly, so that Grace Bible Church is strengthened. So that it is all that you desire it to be in this community, in this valley. Father, make our homes a sweet place for people to find refuge. Lord, I, I think about... Oftentimes, what it what it what it's like for my children when they sin in my house? What is it like to sin under my leadership? Do they find me ready to squash them and um, be harsh, or do they find that when they sin, that they actually want to be under my leadership because they recognize um, a tenderness in the gospel, hope and comfort? God, I pray that each one of us would be men in our homes that um, others that we live with, when they sin, they would actually want to come find us so that we might help them because they know they'll find help. God, I, we are in such great need of you. Would you please come and even meet with us in this time that we're gathered together. Open your word and make it clear to us. Open our eyes and soften these hearts. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. And as always, as we go through and uh, walk through these, uh, the handout or whatever, you can ask questions. You can interject whenever you want. Just get my attention, raise your hand, whatever. Okay? And uh, we'll get started. Take your, uh, your handout today. It's entitled at the top, Discipline One, The Heart, A Biblical Introduction to the Heart, Part 2, Saturday, October 2. And I want to start with an illustration for you. That might help you think about discipline one. Um, I'm this way. I don't know why, but, but I, I'm always thinking, trying to think of ways to illustrate um, a point for my own sake, for my kids' sake, for anybody that I'm going to teach. And I, I, I thought of this illustration, and I want to share it with you. I don't know if you necessarily need to take notes on it, but um, you just might want to listen. But imagine with me 
We live out here in the desert, and in a brutally hot desert, if you were hiking and you weren't careful about taking enough water with you, you uh, you would soon be in a lot of trouble. I was watching on um, Discovery Channel. There's I think there's a show that's called something like um, I can't believe I almost died or something like that. I shouldn't be alive. That's it. Thank you very much. Um, I watched it and it was about the one that I watched in particular was it was a bunch of Boy Scouts who went with their leader and they were hiking down the Grand Canyon. Did you guys see that one? And they, they grossly misunderestimated the, the water they would need and um, how long it was going to take them and um, injuries that came up along. And, and one of the boys died um, just not far from the water. And um, so that's a real scenario. I mean, if you were lost in the desert and all of your water was gone, the one thing that would be on your mind more than anything was being rescued. Is being rescued. Because if you don't get rescued soon, death is imminent. So being rescued is, is the one focus, it's the one goal, it's the one end. It's all you're thinking about is, how do I get rescuers to where I am? How do I get me to where the rescuers are? That's the one end. There's no other end. There's not three or four ends you're after. There's only one end, one goal. Now imagine, though, that if you were in that situation and you had a satellite phone, a satellite phone. I mean, how important would that phone be to you in the middle of the desert um, in your situation? That's huge. Now, your satellite phone is not the end. It is the means. And how many, how many different means are there for you? No, there's only one means for you in this situation, and it is the satellite phone. It is the one means to your one end because that phone puts you into contact with your rescuers. That phone does. So your satellite phone is a, it's an excellent means. It is a God-given means, but it is a means to an even greater end. Right? The satellite phone is not the end that you're after. It is a means to the end. And... The fact that your satellite phone is only a means and not an end, it doesn't lead you to neglect the phone. See, sometimes we think when if something is a means to an end, it's not very important. Right? But that's not necessarily the case. Just because the phone is only a means and not the end doesn't mean that you, when you set your backpack down, and to rest, and then you just kind of toss the phone off to the side and get back up and start walking without thinking. You wouldn't treat the, that kind of means that way. That one phone, that means it, to your end is, is everything. So you treat that thing that is a means with great honor. You, you, you honor it. You're careful with it. You don't abuse it. You don't neglect it. The means to your rescue leads you to honor the phone, to treat it carefully. And what Discipline 1 is really all about is the heart in man that is prone to wander, getting near to its deliverer, its rescuer, its savior. So for man, that is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death. That man with that kind of heart, starving, thirsting to death, 
would come into contact with its rescuer, God. That's a matter of heaven and hell. It's time to get up. That's good. So, for a Christian, for a believer, being near to that God, that end, fellowshipping with him, being near with him, that that's our goal. That's our end. That's what we're after. There's not four or five ends we're after in the Christian life. We're only after one end, and that is knowing God, loving God, fellowshipping with God, worshiping God. And discipline one, then, is also about you and I understanding the precious word of God rightly. You guys, we need to really understand the Bible correctly. The Bible, listen carefully, it is a means to a greater end. And when you talk about a means, you have to be careful to talk about it in a way where you don't diminish it and make it sound like it's not very important. That's not what we're saying. You understand? Where I'm, are you listening? We're not saying the Bible isn't important. Because of the kind of means that it is, because so much is at stake with you coming into contact with your ultimate end, having fellowship with your ultimate end, who is God, through the means, oh my goodness, it makes you treat the means like it is it's a treasure. It's like a satellite phone that's going to put you in contact with your rescuer. And if you don't have that satellite phone, you're dead. So the Bible is your one means to your one greater end. And so then to interact with the word of God without actually meeting with God. Okay, this can happen. This can happen. It is very possible for men to interact with the word of God but not actually meet with God. Um, if you want to read about some men who did that, they're called the Pharisees. Okay? Very interested in righteous living, separate living, holiness, making sure that they are seen to be different than all the other men in Israel. Had the word of God, added a whole bunch of other rules to it, and missed God completely. God said about those men, um, you worship me with your lips, but your, your, your heart is not even anywhere close. It is very possible to do that. So then, to interact with God's word without actually meeting with God, you know what that's like? That would be like sitting out in the desert, about to die for lack of water, and just kind of playing with the satellite phone, but never making the call. That's foolish. You'd never do that. But we do that sometimes with God's word. In my experience, in my past... I come from a very strong Bible background. Before I ever went to seminary, I, I was in a church that was very strong on the Bible. I went to a seminary that's very strong on the Bible. And in my past, I was around a lot of men, and I was just like them, that we spoke a lot of times. Our, our, our conversations were about the Word. We talked about the Word, the Word, the Word, the Bible, the Word, Scripture, the Word, the Word, and, we, and it was... All over the place. And I, I'm, I'm testifying of my own heart. I'm not condemning anybody else that I was around. I'm, I'm saying what I was like among these men. And even to be fair to them and, and even to myself back then, the desire to exalt the word and to talk about the word and, and, and to put a big emphasis on it, to exalt the word, the reason we did that is because we saw it was being so belittled in church. Uh, Christians were the ones, not just society, not just culture, 
godless culture, but churches were taking the Bible and they were setting it off to the side of their life. And so we wanted to say, no, the word, you know, and bring it back and set it in the middle of things and set it in the middle of our lives. But we have to be really careful to not speak of the word as if it is the end. Because it's not the end. It is the means to the end who is God. And God's intent with his word is that, listen very carefully, God's intent with his word is that it is, it's most honored when it is seen as the great means that he made it to be. Okay? You might think, I think we thought that the way that we could honor this the most is to set it up and almost talk about it like it's the end. It's the word. But we spoke about it in a way where we weren't making real clear what the end was. God. And some guys can talk about the Bible as if it's almost, you know, the fourth member of the Trinity. And it's not. Does that mean that we should treat it shabbily? No! Never! But the way that it is most honored, and God designed it this way, is when you understand it as a means to him, to the end. And that's what we mean in Discipline 1 when we say we come to the Word of God to get the God of the Word. Okay? That's what we mean. God intends his Word to be a means to put your heart in contact with something even greater than the Word. It's him. Guys, we can't improve on this design that God has for his Word. We can't improve on that. Well, the ways that we can improve is by making sure that we honor what his design is for this. We pay attention to that. And we go after it. So that means we don't want to talk about the Bible. That means we don't want to talk about the gospel in such a way where it sounds like we're happy to get the Bible but not God. Let me say that again. You don't want to talk about the Bible in such a way where as you're talking about it, it makes it sound like you're happy just to have the Bible, but not God. You never want to talk that way. You want to talk about, I'm so glad I have this Bible because I get God. It reveals Him. Another illustration, if, if you were separated, we talked about this before, if you're separated from the one that you love, and all you could have of the one that you love was the letters that um, she was writing to you, you wouldn't sit there and just fixate on words and paper that she wrote on. You would read it knowing that this is the best that I can have of her right now. I want her. I'm not content to if she never comes back because I've got these words. Well, she's got to come back. I've got to have her because the words make me just long for her even more. So we are not to be content with such talk about having the word but not having God. We're not content to talk about the truth unless we're talking about the God who is the God of that truth. And this is what we mean when we say we come to the word of God to meet with the God of the word. Okay? And so you know what? We, that, that also means that you... Because I was thinking about this this morning. Maybe your experience hasn't been what mine is. You don't come from that kind of a tradition in the back. In fact, maybe other, your, your tradition might actually be the opposite, where there's lots of talk about experiencing God, intimacy with God, knowing God 
through experience and through things and through ritual and through whatever, just being near to God, drawing near to Him, having fellowship with Him and, and all the kinds of things and, and, and spiritual language that can come with that. Well, you shouldn't be happy to talk about that without talking about the Word either. So you've got to have both of these things. So for some of you, experiencing God with, with, with very little emphasis on the Word as a means to it, it might, that might be what you've been going through. So discipline one seeks then to correct what might be a, a lopsided thing in your case too, so that the, it puts a heavier emphasis on the Word in your life, not to diminish the experience of God. We, we need to draw near to God. We need to know God. We need to fellowship with God. We need to love God. But you can't love, how can you love him and truly experience him now apart from this? You can't. So whatever excess we would run to, uh, we want to make sure that we hold on to what the Bible says about both of them. Do we want God? Absolutely. Uh, and we get him through his word. Do we want truth? Do we want theological precision? Yes. Why? Because we want him. See, it's not one against the other. You're not, gonna, you're not gonna let people drive a wedge between these things. You're not gonna let yourself drive a wedge between these two things. You hold on to both of them. One is a means and the other is an end and they both need each other. God set it up that way, okay? You guys have any questions or comments with that or is there anything confusing in that? Is there anything that scares you in hearing that? Because Tom would love to answer your question. By the way, Tom Angstead is here today. That's good. I'm so glad he's here. Any questions, guys? Comments? All right. Yes? Let me talk about this last week. What would you say is the best way to do this? You describe something that's pretty necessary. Constantly be. This is this is why we call it a discipline, right? That <clears throat> disciplines are things that you actually have to think about, that you have to do, you have to be intentional about, you have to give thought to. Um, they don't just happen on their own. Um, that's a that's a reflex, and this is not a reflex. It's a discipline, and so you have to become a man that's convinced that when you get up in the beginning of the day that there's one thing that your heart needs more than anything. There's one person your heart needs more than anything. Before your soul gets near to anybody else, you want your soul to be near to God. And and so, how do I do that? Well, God, God also gives other means as well. Prayer, um, fellowship, but those things are not what this is. Very important, but you need the Word of God. And so it's a matter of just learning to, to do that bit by bit and we give you, um, in fact, we can even look at the sample prayer. Do you, do you guys have that? I handed that out to you guys last time. If you weren't here last time, 
I think I have a couple of extras on that. An example of how the build disciplines might shape your prayer, prayerful approach to God through his word. Do you guys have that? It looks like this. If you don't have it, I've got a few. Actually, we have about ten here. You can check your, your stuff from last week. You, you should have it, but if you don't... Oh, you got a question. Okay. Hey, Rick. Rick sees one. Okay. Mark, what's your question? That's a good question. Um, you know, let me, let, me, let me back up and say one thing before that. There is, there is no way that you would even want to do this unless you've been made into a new creature in Christ. I don't want to make any assumptions about any one man anywhere in, in this group. There is no way that you would have a heart that would even respond to that unless God gave that heart to you in Christ through his death at the cross. Okay? That heart, that new identity that God gives in Christ, called the new man, or the new creature in Christ, that new creature in Christ comes with a desire for God. That heart, that identity can love God with all of its heart and soul and mind and strength. It, it can draw near to God. It wants the word of Christ to richly dwell in the heart. It does want to. So we have to start there. That you, the only way that you would even want this, this is not something that God sets out in front of a fallen man and says, aspire to this and then I'll see what I'll do. No, God just takes his paddles and he takes a dead corpse Boom, with his son and the cross and through his shed blood and he makes you alive through Christ by uniting you with Christ. And that new condition comes with a desire to know God. That's foundational. At that point, the only thing that you can really do is discipline yourself to get your Bible and to start reading it prayerfully so, worshipfully so, Lovingly so. Whenever you can, as often as you can. I'm a big, some of you aren't morning guys, um, and we're still praying for your salvation. Into the day, your heart needs to be set on the right trajectory. 
So that's great. If you're a night guy and you're going to read at night, that's awesome. But before you go to sleep and pass out, you better summarize somehow, some way, what you're going to, when you wake up the next morning, put in front of you, either in the car or in the bathroom mirror or on the way as you're walking or whatever you're doing or something you're going to keep with you throughout the day so that you can keep focusing your heart and your mind on it. You need to, throughout the day, recognize that, um, like the, the hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Well, how do you, how do you engage your heart with the God that you feel that you've wandered with? Well, you come back to God's word again. You, you pray. Um, this is, there's nothing flashy about this. There is nothing um, that is really uh, greatly profound. It's just simply, you have to be a man that you're going to say no to other things that you want to do when you want to get going you start thinking about the day or when you're at the end of your day and you're just too tired. No, there's one thing that your heart needs more than anything, and that is it needs to draw near to God. Tom. Yeah, I want to go back to Omri. Yeah. Um, were you hoping for Scott to give you an answer of these practical things to do? Or? Yeah, what were you looking for? It's a good question. Um, no, I mean, you, you answered it. I guess practical, uh, <coughs> practical things in the world. And I think because we are guys, uh, we kind of like to think that one size fits all. But that's not the case. And so I think practically the first thing to do is you find some guys and guys around you and ask them, tell me what are the disciplines you look like in your life. I know my own path. Um, Anna could not be any more opposite as far as shepherding our hearts. And if I was just dictating, this is what works for me here, uh, I like to do that. That even works too well. And so I, I need to be sensitive. So I can tell you practically how do I share my heart? How do I keep myself from going to the word that I was going to be involved? And, and you know, you read the chapter and you forget what I just read. And it's a daily thing that you're having to care for your heart. And so I have some disciplines in place that keep me on track. But again, it's, I know I am really blessed to listen to a sermon where I know from my wife, she's more blessed to read the sermon. And so it's a matter of, of not being content that there's the one sweet spot that I gotta get to. And then it's the next day month to be different. And it's just being just being aware of in prayer, like Scott said, of just recognizing where you're part of the money But I, I know for, for Scott and I Smarter than I'm not. So I know practically it looks very different. Frank, you had your hand. Yeah, I have a, just a picture, um, you know, a physical and spiritual picture here in terms of what it looks like. Physically, uh, when I go to sleep at night, I wake up the next morning, I have morning breath, and I feel it, and I need to brush my and I, that's something physically I always do. But I also, when I wake up, I recognize not only do I have, you know, morning breath that needs to get brushed, I need a heart and a mind that needs to get renewed. And, and that's the, 
when you mention God gives you the heart, how do I do it? Not because I do it, but there are times when I wake up and it's there's a little discipline that says, okay, God. Okay, God. When you wake up, what's am I going to see you today? And if I'm going to see you today, I want to be ready for you today. And boy, that is in me in my heart to want to get there. Yeah. So that doesn't happen all the time, but it's but it's it's one of those. I know I brush my teeth every day. If I wake up, you say, oh, I need you. wake up in the middle of the night, or you wake up and you find yourself, me, 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 what I do, 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 you know, refocus. And, and that's <coughs> by God's mercy, and, and then there's a discipline that counts. Yeah. I encourage you guys to, um, if you're in a Study like a, either a small group or if you're with a, a group of guys or if you lead um, a, a Bible study or whatever, you're, you're constantly studying. Um, that that's great, but I, I would I would encourage you to have time that you're reading or studying, and it's not for anybody else but your own soul. Um, I'm constantly, obviously, studying every day. And what I try to think of when I come to Ephesians is I try to think of, well, number one, I need to know this for me. I need to know the God of this word for me. Um, but it's because we are so uh, utilitarian and we just we do stuff and we utilize and we want to task-oriented. It is tempting to read and study for because I'm I have to go do this with it. I have to go deliver it. I have to make it clear. I'm thinking of other people, and so I have to study Ephesians. The thing that I have to work hard at is I have to study that thinking of my own heart. I have to go. This has to run through my own heart first. That that's one thing. Great, do that. If you're if you're studying for a, a group uh, or for you know a small group Bible study whatever, do that. But I also have my own time where I'm just reading through the Bible, and I'm not doing that for necessarily anybody else. I'm just reading it because I need to draw near to God, and I want to do that, and I need to do that. I'm not trying to think about how I'm going to communicate it to necessarily anybody else. I'm just thinking, what is what is God communicating to me about what He's saying about Himself and or my condition or whatever. So um, one thing you can do is make sure that you have time that's in God's word that's, that's for you. Um, so that, that's one thing you can do. What I want to do is have you look at the, the prayer, um, because this might even help you a little bit in a practical way. Um, Scott, can you take it down just a couple, maybe? This is an example. I do not give this to you. In fact, I was hesitant to give it to you because I don't even—I don't want you to be locked into these words by any means. What, but what my hope is, my desire is that something like this would would only be a launching pad for you that would throw you towards your own thoughts and your own um, interaction with God and just you know conversation with God that you would have. Here's how something of the build disciplines might shape your prayerful approach to God through His Word. And I'm just going to read through this, and I, and I want to pause at points and, and talk about it with you. But 
I intend this time in your word to be an expression of worship of you, desire for you, love for you, need of you, dependence on you. And you just keep building on that sentence if you want. Any of this and all of this is only possible through your son, Jesus Christ, who is my Savior. I approach you through him, my substitute and high priest. And then there's four basic sections here of, that, that really focus on the word. I have your word open before me because you have revealed yourself there more clearly than any other place, and I long to know you better. Guys, there needs to be something like that that's communicated when we open our Bibles. There has to be. If we don't, we don't understand why he wrote the Bible. I desire to see you in all your glory in the pages before me. I simply and humbly draw near to you to study you. Nearness to you through these pages of scripture, that's my good. I also have your word open before me because I need to learn more of the nature of my sin and fallenness before you so that I might better understand what danger I truly was in and what dangers still lurk within me. So when we go to the Bible, we're also looking for God to reveal to us what our nature is, what our character is, what our nature was apart from him, what our new nature is in him, what our propensities are in the flesh. I need to see both the sin that provoked your righteousness toward your son, your righteous wrath toward your son, and I need to see your grace that moved you to act as Savior toward me and him. All of that... Oh, I need to keep going one more. Your word is open before me so that I might undergird my life again today with your saving heart and motive in the gospel of your son who overcame the penalty of my sin and the power of my sin to enslave me. Now we're specifically zeroing in on the gospel... I need the foundation of your gospel under me clearly so that I can see how you have equipped me through it to fight against my sin and to fight for obedience to you through Jesus Christ. I'm here to rehearse your bedrock promises in the gospel to my soul. So now we're we're gospel-centered as we're coming to the word of God. And I have your word open before me to also study what righteousness and holiness of life looks like for the one who has... Uh, For one who has been made into a new creature in Christ by your grace and power, as I see holiness of life placed in front of me in the pages of Scripture, I long to better align my life and behavior with what pleases you. I mean, that's the one thing that stands out is is that as you read through even the Old Testament, you see um, countless unrighteous examples. And you see some examples of righteousness. David, Samuel, others. And you're looking for what's holiness of life, what's righteousness look like in a practical level. Now, all of that is discipline one. Now, the bottom paragraph. I desire my heart and mind to be full of you because of what these pages reveal to me about you. And I long for you to spill out of me in my home, discipline two, and wherever you lead me today, discipline three. All who come into contact with me today must interact with a man whose heart has drawn near to you. Their best hope for salvation or their best hope for just growth in the gospel will come from a man who has searched for you in your word and gazed upon your son in the gospel. You see, that's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're after. That's what we're trying to... We want the men... All Christian men should be this way. <laughs> But we're calling the, the men of Grace Bible Church to this. Let's, let's, let's unify around this. Your home will benefit. 
And even greater, the church becomes everything the church should be when it has men like this everywhere from wall to wall. Um, so practically speaking, you know, keep something like that if that's helpful near you as you are studying. And um, yeah. And you know what, Tom, that was a great suggestion. Talk with other guys. What, what, what's your time in the Word look like? And get ideas. And, and try something. Try anything. But, but do something. Respond. And, and, um, and, and see what works for you. And um, what one guy says works for him might not work for you, but you might, it might lead you to think of something that will work better for you. And uh, understand this is a process, a lifetime, and uh, we'll all walk it together. One of the reasons why I want to do build and teach build year after year is because I know that I don't want to be far from these things uh, because I need to come back to them over and over. All right? All right, here's what I want to do. I want to take a short break, five minutes. Okay, you guys have been sitting there listening a long time. We went through and covered a little bit more than I anticipated there with that, and it was really good. So let's take a five-minute break, come back, we'll do um, a short study, and then we'll break into small groups today, okay? Come back in a few minutes. Guys, um, we're going to review a little bit from what we talked about last time with Discipline 1 on the Heart. So on your worksheet there, you see um, review from D1, the heart, a biblical survey of the heart. That was from part one. Just a reminder of what is the heart. The one thing you want to guard against when you're thinking about the heart is thinking like it's just a, just a piece of you, like, like a hand. It's not that. It's The heart is really... Who you are in your totality. Um, a great example of this um, that, that ca- kind of captures the way that the Old and the New Testament work together on, on the word heart. And you don't necessarily have to write this down. I think we even talked about this last time. But 1 Peter 3, 4, in, in regards to, to wives, he says, uh, Peter says, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. When he says that, he's not saying, you know, the, the little piece of you that is your heart. He's talking about, no, I'm talking about you. But it's, it's a way of referring to what is hidden about you. It's not merely your external who you are. It's an inward way of describing all that you are. That's the heart. So we want to make sure that we're not just talking about, you're thinking not just like it's like your hand. Your, your, your eyes, a portion of you, but it's you. It's, and it's primarily where um, it's who you are in your totality. It's where God meets with you, either as judge or as savior. It, it's when he comes to meet a man, he's primarily looking at that hidden person of the heart. He's looking at the inward reflection of your totality of who you are, the heart. Um, so that's what we talked about in regards to just what the heart is. What is the condition of the heart? Last time we talked about how the heart fails us. We talked about how the heart is beyond man's cleansing. We talked about the fact that the heart is the source of defilement according to Jesus in Matthew 15. It's, according to Paul, the heart is a foolish heart that invites even greater spiritual darkness in Romans 1. Well, is the heart even aware that it is this way? Kurt, question. Isn't the question be, what is the condition of the unregenerate heart? Yeah, that's, that's probably more what we're talking about. We're talking about um, just 
Just what does God say about the heart in general in Scripture? And so there's going to be times when, yes, primarily we're talking about an unregenerate heart. Um, so in that bullet point there, you could probably put that afterwards, unregenerate or old man, whatever, unbeliever. But there are um, – but we have to be careful, guys. There are some of those descriptions that are still true for even the new heart. Okay? And, and we've been doing a, doing a lot of thinking about this, Smed and I, and, and even the women's ministry, as they've been getting ready to teach these things, we've come back to this. You should not think of your new heart like um, your justification status. Your justification status is complete, right? You have been declared once and for all to be righteous. God, when he looks at that, righteousness does not see a mixed condition. He sees one condition, righteousness. Being given a new heart means that now you have entered into a new identity that is a mixed condition. So when we describe who your inner nature and your inner person of the heart is, uh, as an unregenerate, yeah, there's only one way to describe it. It fails you, it deceives you, it's, you know, all those negative things. However, in the new man, when you've been given a new heart, that's a mixed condition. And you still need to shepherd your heart. You don't, you don't by the way, you don't have to shepherd your justification staff, right? Yeah, praise God, absolutely. But you do still need to shepherd your heart. Your inner man, who you are, um, you still need to shepherd. So that's a great distinction to bring up. I appreciate that. So is the heart even alert in its um, unregenerate condition to, to its devastated con- condition? The answer is a resounding no. Because what we found there is that the heart is easily deceived, um, even when it's surrounded by the, the, the best blessing in Deuteronomy of Moses said this, when you get into the land, your heart's going to deceive you once you grab everything you want. The heart is also an excellent deceiver. We talked about this from Jeremiah 17.9. So not only in, in blessing does the heart get deceived by the blessing, the heart itself is the, is the top of the list of deceivers, and according to Jeremiah. The heart can be deceived by others. We found out Paul said this in Romans 16 last time. And then even we can deceive our own hearts in James chapter 1. So how could a heart that even when it's in blessing gets deceived, it deceives itself, others can deceive it, and we deceive our own hearts, how can that heart even be aware of its devastated condition before God? And then on top of that, what is the highest calling for the human heart? What does God do? God calls out to humanity and says, love me with all of that. Like God, do you know what you're asking for? Have you seen this heart to know why? How could you even ask me, demand of me such a thing? And so that led us to the second, or the next question. Does God see this predicament the heart is in? And we saw from Solomon that not only does he see the heart, we saw from Proverbs not only does he weigh the heart, not only does he search and test the heart according to Jeremiah, not only does he disclose the motives of the heart according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, But he does all of that so as to repay the man. Based on what he's done. Wow. That's a bummer. And so then what is the greatest need of the human heart? Um, We broke that down into two parts. 
God describes it in one sense throughout Scripture. That, uh, he puts great responsibility on the man. He puts great responsibility on you. God calls man to do something about his own heart. The language in the Old Testament is circumcise it. Moses said that. Jeremiah said that. Wash it. Wash your heart, Jeremiah says. Ezekiel said, make a new heart. Joel said, tear your heart and not your garments. Be broken in, in a grief at the heart level. James said, purify your heart. But how on earth can you do this with hearts in that kind of a condition? And what God is saying in Scripture is, uh, you, you're culpable for what your heart has made you. And you are responsible before God to, uh, for it. And the good news in the Bible is that simultaneous to the command to do something about your own heart, God says what? What does God say he will do? He says that he'll actually be the one to do it, and that is the second part of it. God promises to do for a man what man can't do for his own heart. So the Bible also says that the Lord will circumcise your heart. Um, and we talked about how the Old Covenant highlighted the need for a new heart without actually providing the means to do it. Um, we find David crying out, Create in me, God, a clean heart. God promises that he will just give a new heart in the New Covenant in Jeremiah 31. And then Jesus inaugurated that New Covenant in his blood at his death on the cross. And then at Pentecost, the pouring out of the Spirit comes and Peter's preaching. And the heart work of God is beginning to take place. Hearts are pierced. And in Acts chapter 15, God is cleansing Gentiles' hearts by faith. The very new covenant work of, the, of God is, is taking place at the heart level. So, yes, man is called to do something about the condition of his heart, which puts the accent on his responsibility, his culpability. God does not ask him to do it because he knows, because God thinks that the man in his condition alone can do something about it. He commands it because he's making him culpable. You are responsible for this. And then God, in all of his grace, provides the way for it. So, man is called to do something about the condition of his heart, and the way the heart changes is man pleads his inability to do anything about it to God. I can't. I can't. And so God says, look away from yourself. Look to my son on the cross. And we look away from ourselves. We see what his son did on the cross. We believe. We entrust ourselves to him. We repent. And we find that what God has done is he has done a work of giving a new heart in all of that. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And then what does he provide for our hearts along the way? In unregenerate condition and in regenerate condition, he gives us his word. And his desire is that his word and our hearts be in a full contact sport with one another. Constantly going at each other, not, not in a negative way, not battling against necessarily, but, but just in contact, full contact with one another. Moses said these words are to be on your heart. Ezra said that he set his heart to study and practice and teach the law. God himself promised to write his law on the heart. His intent was to put his words very close to the heart. <clears throat> Jesus, as he's talking about the parable of the kingdom of the sower, he says the seed, which is the word of God, must go into the heart. And as Jesus, who's raised from the dead, is walking with two of his disciples on the way to Emmaus, um, their hearts are burning within as he is opening the scriptures to them. 
And Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce down and divide out things that you and I can't even separate. And it is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God can do that. So that's from last time. Now, I want to give you two somewhat random points to just build on from that last time. The first point is just the description of the heart at the beginning of the Bible storyline. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis 6. You're familiar with this? God sees the wickedness of man on earth expressing itself everywhere. And God says in verse 3 of chapter 6 of Genesis, He says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. He's flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. That's God's way of saying you have 120 years before I destroy this place. And then he gets specific, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the reason for the flood here is that the wickedness of the human heart is everywhere. And again, I don't know what page of your Bible this is. It's page 8. By page 8 in my Bible, um, the wickedness of man is great on the earth. And it's primarily a heart problem. This is the Bible's opening storyline after the fall of the condition of uh, of man's heart. So his great wickedness, man's great wickedness, is primarily a heart problem in God's eyes. And, you know, he doesn't say seven out of the ten thoughts of his heart. He says every intent of the thoughts of his heart. And he doesn't say on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays was evil. But it was only evil continually. He doesn't say that, you know, sometimes your heart's okay, guys. But, but then there's other times it's not. And it's and it's only like that, you know, three out of the seven days of the week. No, it's just, that's all you are. God looks and he says, and, and this is why the wickedness of man is great. Because this is all that man can be, is wicked. And it's primarily a heart problem. And you see the impact that that makes on God's heart. Verse 6, he's grieved in his heart. So we know what God does. He tells Noah, selects Noah to build an ark. Noah builds the ark. The flood waters come in chapter 7. In chapter 8, the flood waters subside. Go to chapter 8, verse 20. Noah comes off the ark. And in verse 20, it says, Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird, and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. So God somewhere, this is very interesting, God somewhere prior to this, or, yeah, prior to this, has has revealed that there is a way to worship him. And it's going to come through sacrifice. And there's even some description of what to do. You, You burn it. And I want an altar. And this isn't even Mosaic law yet. 
Mosaic Law did not invent offerings and worship. God had already done this prior to that. And so here is Noah worshiping, following whatever it is that God directed and regulated him for, for his worship. And the Lord smelled the smoothing, uh, soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. God offers two nevers, two promises. The flood's waters are, are, have subsided. Two promises. I will never again curse the ground on account of man. And here's why. The intent of his heart is evil from his youth. That explains man. And the second, never. I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. So he's offering to Noah and to any humans who would read this afterwards. Um, we'd be thinking back on history through Moses here. Here's his explanation. I, I'm making promises. I am not going to do what I did. That means something very profound. Um, the flood did not fix the problem. God's judgment is not his means to fix the heart problem. It pays back what those with wicked hearts need and deserve. But it doesn't change the condition of, 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 God, of the man's heart. Also this, this deliverance of Noah didn't fix Noah's heart. So here is a deliverance that God put forward, and man's heart is still what man's heart is. What is God expecting the hearts of man to be like once Noah and his family repopulate the earth? Uh, from youth, they're only going to be troubled, these hearts. And what does this leave you wondering at this point? Uh, God is, what are you going to do about this? I mean, you just did something radical and severe. There's, there's just like eight people left in the whole world. Um, and there's lots of animals that are gone. And um, the heart is still what the heart is. You still have reason to do this again. Except, God, you made promises that you'll keep. This leaves us crying out for a better deliverance to come and a better judgment to come. And this is exactly what God did in Jesus Christ at the cross. A worse judgment came out there on one who didn't deserve it, but who volunteered to take that place. And a better deliverance came that brought about a new heart. It's amazing. But the opening storyline of the Bible is this about man's heart. It's, it's a terrible thing. And now what I want to do is I want to talk about um, pride in the heart. Let's go to Deuteronomy 17. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 17. Let's start at verse 14. We want to talk in particular about the danger that pride... Um, Exposes your heart to. It's always a good thing for men to think about pride. This should be a, a topic or a subject, a sin, that you um, regularly are looking for ways to evaluate yourself by. Uh, to, to bring the light of God's word near your heart and, and shine on your heart to see where there might be pride. In your, not the might be, to see where it is. 
because it is there. Deuteronomy 17, when you, verse 14, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you and you possess it and you live in it and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your countrymen, you shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, uh, for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. Watch this one. He shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his what? Heart will turn away. That is a whole subject right there to trace through your Bible. In fact, you'll see it in the resource that I gave you. I, I, there's a whole category for the, the impact that a woman can make on man's heart for the negative. <laughs> they can make a good contribution as well. God, They are a precious gift from God. But you need to trace through the Bible what happens to men when certain women come into their lives and what happens to their hearts. And that is a massive lesson to learn. Uh, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Verse 18, Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. He gets to do this. The king is supposed to spend part of his day writing out this law. Levitical priests watching over his shoulder, helping him. It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. So God's intent is when you do have a king... He's going to have, next to his sword, a spot for the scroll. And he shall read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. Verse 20, So that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and so that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel so that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen. This is the expectation for a king. The word of God, guys, is the great leveler. It levels all men. And especially leaders need the word of God to be very close to them, in front of them, coming into contact with their hearts. Because the word prevents any man from lifting up his heart above others. Leaders especially need this, to be continually exposed to the word of God at the heart level. Because leaders are tempted to make themselves exempt from the standard that others are bound to, that all of us are bound to. A king is going to be tempted to do this. God is telling them that. And so here's what I want you to do so that your leader will not lift him, his heart up above your, all the rest of yours. He needs to have the word of God. He needs to write it out. It needs to be with him. He needs to read it all the days of his life because then he won't lift his heart up proudly so, arrogantly so, above others. Guys, whether you know this or not, because you are a man, you are a leader. You are. You are a leader. And in your home, you are a leader. There will be a temptation for you in your household as a leader to lift your heart up above your wife and your children. Or others who live with you. And there is one thing that you need desperately to level you down. And that's the Lord of God. 
if, if you're going to be a, a leader in ministry within the church, there's going to be a, pro, a propensity within you to lift yourself up and your heart up above others. And there is one thing that you need more than anything else, and it's God's word. To make you see your pride and then humble you back down to where you need to be. The word of God is the great leveler. Every man needs it. And this is what you should pray for leaders in your church, leaders, your elders, your pastors who care for you. Um, you pray that we would be wise with our own lives, we would shepherd our own hearts with the word of God so that we would level ourselves back down to where all of us need it to be. That we would not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Let's go to Psalm 101. Those of you still live in your home, you pray for your dad this way. That's what you do. You pray for your dad. That he would be a man who would level his heart with the word of God. Let's read, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 to 5. A psalm of David. Psalm 101. I will sing of loving kindness and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? But what does he want? Do you see this? He wants God. I love this about David. I love this about the psalmist. They, they, they act and they sound and they write as if they're going to die if they don't have God's nearness to them. Because they will. Because we will. Because you will. I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. Great verse. David says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. And as king, whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. Now I want you to go home and apply that today, richly. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tell you what, though, you better, you better know how to read the Bible and interpret it. But you're going to make a mess. <laughs> no one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, the king says, will I endure. It's Israel's king. He's going to walk in the integrity of his heart within his own house. Verse 4, a perverse heart shall depart from him. He's resolute about a perverse heart, not finding a lodging place in his life. And as king, he was given the responsibility of overseeing how this nation was going to live out and live under Abrahamic covenant promises. He is the leader. He is also thinking about Mosaic covenant blessings and curses who are given. He needs to take responsibility for these people. He's overseeing them. He, he wants to make sure that these... These covenants are, are advancing in and through the people. And what on his mind, King David, is going to hinder his heart, or hinder the, the, the people, Israel? It's arrogance. It's a haughty look. And what he is all about as king over this people, this specific kind of people, this special people, um, what he's all about, there's no room for an arrogant heart among them. It's a hindrance. Let's go to Proverbs 16, verse 5. 
Proverbs 16, verse 5. Solomon says, Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Okay, where is the pride rooted and found and located? It's in the heart. It's that inner person. It's you. It's not in your hand. Like if you cut your hand off, you wouldn't be prideful anymore. No, it's you. Proud in heart. And what does God think about that? Uh, Use the strongest word of dislike and repulsion, revulsion possible. Abomination. It's an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished or go unpunished. God's response to the proud in heart couldn't be stated more strongly here. And and the way that God's going to respond to this, it's not questionable. It's not iffy. It's not uncertain what he's going to do. No, assuredly, this is what is going to happen. Now, it's important to understand how Proverbs like this work. How do Proverbs like this work? Let me give you a modern-day proverb that might be a parallel to help you understand how this works. Here's a modern-day parable. The child who does not look both ways gets hit by a car, but the child who does lives long. Okay? That is a general truth. It's a general wisdom truth that is stated. And many of the Proverbs are like this, including this one. They state what is generally true, what is dependable. And though there, for our modern parable, there are some careful children who do get hit when they cross the street. And there are some really careless children who never look and they never get hit. That doesn't make the proverb not true. And so let's go to the next proverb to see how this works. Proverbs 18, verse 12. This will show you also. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, arrogant, lifted up, prideful, puffed up. But in contrast, humility goes before honor. So again, this is all located in the heart, and this is a general statement of truth. Some very arrogant men live their whole life, and you never see any kind of physical calamity or destruction upon them. But that doesn't mean this isn't true. It is still true. So what this is saying is, if you came upon a man who is a burnt out rubble of a mess, you came upon a man and he's just a, just a shell of a, of a man left, there's just pieces of him everywhere strewn out and just car-bombed type of life. If you came across that kind of a man and then you could somehow... Trace back his steps before that, what would you find? Arrogance. Where? In himself, at the core of who he is. So then, let's flip that around. What if right now, in a man, you find arrogance in his heart? You can't see the steps he's going to yet take, but what do you know... Wisdom says it's coming. Oh, man. Guys, this is why you have to be on a search and destroy mission for pride in your heart. You have to be. Because God doesn't just sort of not like it. It's an abomination to him. 
It's an abomination to him. And here's what's great on the other side, on the positive side, um, in, in verse 12. But humility goes before honor. You want to see a man who's been honored, generally speaking, in, in wisdom kinds of thinking, the way the wisdom thinks? You want to see a man who's being honored? If you could trace back his steps before that, what would you find? What goes before that? He's a humble man. Or if you find right now a man who is humble in heart, what does wisdom say it has for him? Honor. And now you've got a path set before you. What do you want to be? What are you going to be? Let's go to Hosea. You've got to go past Daniel, right? And into Hosea, chapter 13. The prophet Hosea speaking against Ephraim, speaking against Israel and their worship through the calves made. Verse 4, God says, you did all of this idolatry, verses 1 to 3, yet I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt. And you weren't you were not to know any God except me, because there is no Savior besides me. I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. And then watch this. As they had their pasture, they became satisfied. And being satisfied, their heart became proud. Conclusion, they forgot me. They became, they, they had the good stuff. They had the pasture. They, they became satisfied. And being satisfied, they found that something happened. And this is where, guys, where, even where there's blessing from God and what you get, materially speaking, you advance in, 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 in material ways. You need to, that's a time to watch your heart even all the more because it can be a time to lift up your heart if you're not careful. You will do that if you don't pay attention to it. You will do that. Because that's what you are. That's what I am. That's what we are. The heart becomes proud. And the result is forgetting God. So this is why you have to shepherd your heart. Because if in the new man, in the new heart that's been given to you, within that new man, you desire God. But if you begin to be satisfied in things that you have, you're going to forget the one that you desire. You will. Let's go to James chapter 3. And by the way, do you notice again what we're doing as we do these surveys? Where did we start? Start in the Old Testament. And we began to walk our way forward through the Bible. Key word, a way of, of thinking about the Bible. Two key words. Progressive Revelation. Progressive revelation. We don't mean progressive like, ooh, innovative. We don't mean that. We mean progressive in the sense that it's progressingly unfolding as it goes forward. Okay? That's the way to read your Bible. Progressives today, you know, that's... That you, yeah. Don't need to talk about it. That's not what we mean. We just mean read it forward. Read your Bible forward. James chapter 3, verse... Let's read, let's read from verse 13 to 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? 
Well, let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now look at verse um, 14. Bitter jealousy. It's kind of a party spirit to, to, to have a class spirit. My people and then others. Bitter jealousy. And then selfish ambition. These are, these are sins. And where are they located? In your heart. If they're there, then watch what happens. What, what's the result? What will come about? Well, arrogance and lying. You know what this is a great example of? This is a great example of how one sin leads to more sin. And here's the, here's the grace of God in this. That if you fight one sin, what might you get the upper hand on? Other sins. Because if you can clip off and cut and let fall to the ground and squash selfish ambition, you have a very good chance that arrogance won't find a way out or lie. So that it's, in one sense, it's a horrible thing. One sin just per, per makes others come. But the grace of God in, in the power of the Gospels we fight against sin is that if you can get one, you might see a domino effect in your life. Right? The lazy man who sits around and just watches TV all day, and then he starts watching more and more, and he starts watching stuff he shouldn't watch, and then he gets his laptop, and then he's starting on his, now he's where he should have never been on his laptop, and, and then, man, it's just, it's just an avalanche of a mess taking place. If that guy had been not lazy to begin with, he might not have found himself in the horrible situation he's in. Get off the couch. Be productive. Be helpful. Work with your hands. Do something to help people. Care for others. So bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in the heart will only position you guys to be arrogant and to lie against the truth. So you've got to watch what's going on in your heart. You have to care for your heart. Help each other care for your heart. All right, so here we are. Um, what do we, how do we summarize this? Several things. Just um, You don't necessarily need to write this down. I'm just going to kind of walk back through each of these little passages here. Don't lift up your heart. Guys, the Word of God is the great level of, leveler of your heart. Um, an arrogant heart has no room under David in his kingdom with his people. How much more so under the son of David, the great king? Arrogance has no room for what he's doing among his people. Shepherd your heart with God's hatred for an arrogant heart. Remind yourself, God hates an arrogant heart. You know what's so funny? It's not funny. It's really sad. Have you ever noticed how instantly you can perceive somebody else's arrogance? Oh, and how awful it is. It's terrible. Terrible. 
And we can't see our own arrogance. We're blind to our own arrogance. And what matters more than anything is that you would see how much God hates arrogance and then that you would hate it the way that he does, but that you would hate your own arrogance. And, and, and how do you help yourself where, where arrogance exists in your heart? You use God's word, guys. You, you come back to it and, and it will point it out to you. It will. So you shepherd your heart also to see where arrogance is there um, because if it's there, it will lead you to destruction, right? In the Proverbs. And you also need to shepherd your heart because once you're surrounded by comfort, and by the way, all of us here are surrounded by comfort. We live in America. Uh, we are very comfortable people. We are very, therefore, prone to prideful hearts and forgetting God because we have so much stuff surrounding us, we get distracted. And then just watch for one sin of the heart opening the door for another. Okay? So things to meditate on. All right, now what we have done the first two build um, sessions together is we have done um, biblical surveys, walked through the Bible about it. Next time when we come in, in October, what is that, the 16th or something like that, we are going to drill down in one passage, which is what I, I like us to have a, a, a balance of both throughout the year. Survey through the Bible, and then we're going to drill down into text. And we're going to do that next time with Hebrews 4.12. Um, but I remember when I was one of the best things that happened when I first got saved was I had a I had some people grab me some um, Christians who were part of navigators and they took me through their topical memory system and I memorized a bunch of scripture and it was really helpful and Hebrews 4:12 was one of those for the Word of God is living and active sharp and it just you love that and what I want you to see is that great verse how powerful and tremendous it is actually has really important verses right in front of it and right after. it. And when we take it out of its context, we are missing. It's like eating a green bean off of a feast or plate that has steak and potatoes and, and everything else that you need to have. And we need to look at the whole plate. So we're going to do that next time. Now, what I want you to do in your small groups, and, and we got four different groups. You can look at your list. I need to make sure that you know everybody. Omri, just raise your hand. That's Omri Miles. So if your name is on Omri's list, you're going to meet with Omri. Scott Demarest is over here. If your name is on Scott's list, you're going to be with him. Tom Amstead, right there. If your name is under his, you're going to meet with him. And Eric, you're going to. I'm going to focus all you guys towards Eric. Eric and I are working together, but um, we're going to be in, in, in that group, to, or you'll be in our group. Now, I don't really know where we can go other than probably really the hallways. Um, you can drag your chairs out in the hallway and just pull around. Maybe one group kind of wants to almost go down to that end of the hallway. Um, another group can probably just go towards this door right outside here in the hallway. And then let's see if we can keep two groups in here. We'll kind of try to keep us separate. Maybe one group can meet right here, and the other group can meet over by where the food is. And what you're going to do today is make sure you just get each other's names, that you know each other. And then um, you can try to talk a little bit about your yellow homework sheet that's from last time. So take your homework sheet. You will turn your homework into your small group guy uh, who's leading, and uh, let's meet until nine o'clock. Okay, and then we'll.